The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. You're watching Squawk Box. I'm Jeff Cutmore with Karen Cho and Steve Sedgwick. And these are your headlines. Markets waiting on the latest U.S. inflation print expected to hit a 40-year high. Richmond Fed President Thomas Barkin warning against getting too negative on the economy. Recession fears do seem at first a little inconsistent with an economy that's adding almost 400,000 jobs a month. Typically, sentiment this low is associated with a weakening in consumer spending and business investment. Some call that talking ourselves into a recession. The IMF again downgrading its outlook on the U.S. economy, cutting its full-year GDP forecast by more than a half a percent while warning about rising inflation. The euro hovering just above parity after hitting its lowest level against the greenback in 20 years. Dutch Finance Minister Sigrid Karg tells CNBC the ongoing consequences are concerning. It's, of course, uh, historic, and that's not in a good way. Uh, it's sort of it's a compounding of effects. It's compounding, and that's the deeper concern. The central banks of South Korea and New Zealand both hiking rates by 50 basis points in a bid to counter surging inflation, while signalling further tightening is in the pipeline. And Twitter sues Elon Musk, setting up a legal battle as the social media giant criticizes the Tesla boss for creating a public spectacle and acting in bad faith around the $44 billion deal. So welcome to the program, everybody. Let's talk about this inflation print coming up then. The White House managing expectations ahead of today's key inflation report. Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre warning the headline number will be, quote, highly elevated. The National Economic Council Director Brian Deese doubling down on this with a series of tweets where he warned the figure will be impacted by what he described as stale gas price data. Well, the Dow Jones Newswires is forecasting inflation at 8.8% in June, topping May's reading of 8.6%. The Richmond Fed President, Thomas Barkin, says despite surging inflation, he's not concerned about a downturn. Recession fears do seem at first a little inconsistent with an economy that's adding almost 400,000 jobs a month and has unemployment at the historic low rate of 3.6%. But I understand the concerns. Typically, sentiment this low is associated with a weakening in consumer spending and business investment. Some call that talking ourselves into a recession. Some thought they saw that uh, inflation report a little bit earlier than expected yesterday, but the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics has issued a statement discrediting a fake CPI report that appeared online and claimed that inflation hit 10.2% in June. The fake report started to circulate mid-morning stateside and gained traction over the course of the afternoon. It sought to replicate the format of the monthly report, but contained several inconsistencies, including a chart that did not match the text. The IMF has again slashed its growth forecast for the US, cutting its GDP outlook to 2.3% for this year. That is down from its original estimate of growth at 2.9% issued just a month ago. The IMF warned that it will be, quote, increasingly challenging for America to avoid a recession. 
And ARK Invest Cathy Wood claims the Federal Reserve is committing a policy mistake as it looks to tighten monetary policy, <laughs> adding that she believes inflation will be short-lived. Wood said there are a list of catalysts that should lead the Fed to pivot and politically reverse its, or potentially reverse its course on policy. The ARK Invest CEO outlined her belief that current inflationary pressures are more of an inventory issue, which she said can be fixed by cutting prices. So let me get this right. So per investor who has seen the bottom fall out of her funds because of interest rate concerns thinks that interest rates shouldn't be hiked. Is that, is that what we're hearing from Cathy Wood? I, I've, I've absolutely done my, um, I'm trying to think of a nice way mm. of putting it. Cojones, there you go. I've, I've lost a lot of money. Um, sure because, that fits, does that not fit? I've lost my, the bottom has fallen out of her innovation fund. So I'm just having a look, 50.48% negative year to date, daily but, total but, return, uh, 61.74%. Yeah, daily total. So then yeah. it gets right. So if rates don't go up, this fund's going to, all those companies are going to suddenly start making money, yeah? Uh, it looks unlikely, doesn't it? But, um, I mean, I, I guess everybody's talking their book in this market at the moment. Everyone's talking about, who was that other guy you mentioned? Was it Deese? I don't even know who Deese is. Deese. Brian Deese. Yeah. So he's talking about stale gas prices. Yeah. What does that mean? Uh, and, and Thomas Barkin, you know, we're not going to have a recession. Have you, have you seen the data? From, like, I'm going to the wall in a second, crossed. I promise, Rod, honestly. But have you seen oh. the data from the NFIB? These are the kind of people yeah. you've got to listen to. This is the National uh, Federation of Independent Businesses, yeah? yeah? Business optimism, right, is at its lowest level since 2013. How about this, though? The diffusion index for small business outlook for future general business conditions fell to an all-time low in June of minus 61. These guys, these ladies and gentlemen with small businesses are mm. right at the cutting edge of mm. everything that's going on. Whether it's the, and, and, and the other point I'd raise, gasoline prices, so I had a look at that. Um, stale gasoline prices, look, they're down. Mm. The, the good news is they're down from five bucks. They were 5.016 on the 14th of June. That's the record level ever, yeah? Now they're down, it's great news. They're down to 4.655 4 is your national average gasoline. What do you think they were a year ago? It's up a buck fifty-one still from a year ago. That is an enormous increase on the customers' costs, on the, the, the retailers' costs, on the wholesalers' costs as well. So yeah, even if we got a great print on inflation, that's there. It's in the system. We're not going to lose a buck fifty on oil all of a sudden on gasoline, are we? Yeah, just circling back to Ark. If you want some numbers from last week, you may recall last week was the week where investors are saying, "Are we going to get as aggressive monetary policy as we think?" And then we had the non-farm payrolls report Friday. But before that. If you look at the course of trade for the week on the ARK Innovation Fund, uh, you saw 13.6% pop. So uh, the prospect of lower rates or a slower pathway yeah, she's very high beta, isn't she? for yeah. these momentum names that are waged into the ARK Innovation Fund. Included. I mean, a lot, a lot of the, um, uh, the, the bulls will just dismiss that, won't they? They'll say soft survey data. It's uh, sentiment, sentiment numbers. It's always weak sentiment. Um, and they'll look at some of the uh, NF, NFIB stuff and they say, oh, lagging indicator. It's, it's rear view mirror stuff. But I think you've got to look at the yield curve to send more important information and, oh, it, and, and it's inversion. Market. Yeah, it's so, inversion. So the biggest one since 2007. Just, mm. just one more thing. And, and again, it's my favourite trap for people to fall into about aggressive rate hikes. These people talking about aggressive rate. There's nothing aggressive 
Let's get this into our heads, everybody. If we want to tame inflation, there is nothing aggressive about a 1.5 to a 1.75% uh, Fed funds rate when you've got inflation at the highest level we've seen since 1981 with an 8 handle or the PPI with a 10 handle. There's nothing aggressive about 1.75 versus 8.1 or 8.6, whatever it's going to be. It's the pace of change, though, isn't it? If you think about where we've been for the last what, 10 yeah, odd years, right. well, we've right. not been able more to aggressive hide. rather than aggressive. Well, given getting 25 basis points across was a, a real challenge at one point for central banks on the back of the last financial crisis. Yeah, it's very because hard to load, bank those everyone's increases, loaded up right? on so much debt at naught. And extraordinary policy has been in the mix as well. And having this dual uh, track process of getting QT and interest rates higher has been yeah, excruciating. So I think this time round, is we've now got central banks throwing everything at it like, let's just do QT. Well, you have a jumbo sized rate hike as well of 75 basis points i think the market well, is just really because it's such an extraordinary just moving it on quick i know we've got to, i know I, we will move on i promise mm. but 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 just go back to this euro story mm. you've got a central bank that's absolutely pooping itself about raising rates to zero that's an official term right? that's that is an official economics term mm. about really worrying itself extremely about putting rates to zero we saw the tantrum that we saw on the on the peripheral yields compared with the buns and what have you it can't even get to, yeah so what the, so the south koreans have just moved by 50 the New Zealanders have moved by 50. Your lot have moved by uh, whatever it was, 25 or 50 quite recently. 50. 50 recently as well. The Brits are raising. The Americans are raising by 75 basis points. The Swiss are raising by 50. Even the Swiss and the Swedes, as we talked about yesterday, have raised by 50. But no wonder the euro is challenging one. They're terrified about going to zero. To going to zero, let alone 1.75 at the top end of the Fed funds rate is. Yeah, but we're, we're back to the, the same old issues about the flaws in the construction of the Eurozone, aren't we? That ultimately you're trying to determine a single interest rate for a host of economies that are actually not synchronised in growth terms. Economies that have got debt to GDP, which is massively higher, massively higher than it was in the great financial crisis which is what they called it after the event uh, at the time. I'm pretty sure, didn't we call it the sovereign debt crisis at the time? Yes. Yeah, we now we call it the great financial crisis. Well, yes, yeah, we've got a bit of that as well. <laughs> I'll do this quickly because I've, I've already tried the patience of that wonderful team in the gallery. Um, we were down across the board. Again, Karen mentioned that extraordinary report that uh, people saw was not from the BLS in the end. But there you go, down nine-tenths of one percent is where the S&P finished. Uh, energy actually was the biggest declining sector. If you looked at Brent and WTI yesterday, that's where the big action was as well as on the FX markets. Equity is actually quite benign uh, by comparison. And certainly treasuries were benign by comparison. We're off the 3.49 high that we saw on US 10-year um, in June, but we're now at 2.97. Again, a lot of inversion going on there and all kinds of uh, issues across the board. Uh, the 210 pretty much trading at its most extreme since 2007. Should we have a look at dollar crosses? I do want to make the point, and I know that we're all besotted, and probably rightly so, by this parity trade on the euro dollar. But the fact of the matter is there are currencies plummeting against the greenback, left, right and centre. The pound is a great example. The yen's another great example. And that is why the dollar index, have a look at the dollar index, has been up six of the last seven sessions and is at its high that we've seen since October 2002. Do you want to have a look at the 20-year chart on the euro? What a 20 years it's been as well. Um, weren't we supposed to be trading? Oh, that, that's the two-year move down 11%. Weren't we supposed to be bursting through 120? Weren't all those balls on the European growth story that were here? Uh, a year or so ago. Anyway, uh, Karen, um, very interesting conversation that Sylvia's been having. Indeed, Sylvia spoke to the Dutch finance minister Sigrid Karg and asked her about the impact of euro-dollar parity. 
It's of course uh, historic and that's not in a good way. Uh, it's sort of it's a compounding of effects, uh, high inflation, um, energy security and of course we do not know which decisions will be made later this month when it comes to the, the gas supplies uh, through or for Germany and the impact that may have. And then of course uh, interest rates and this was, did compound, it's compounding and that's the deeper concern. Uh, while we're on the subject of uh, European challenges, uh, we should just mention Italy's uh, chairwoman uh, over at ENI commenting on um, Italy's ability to isolate itself from the challenge of reduced Russian gas flow. The uh, ENI chairwoman says Italy will be able to replace 50% of Russian gas flows with other sources this winter, 80% uh, of uh, Russian gas flows with other sources next winter. Um, Italy will be fully independent from Russian gas flows in late 2024, early 2025, according to reports. Why not ask about this? Well, specifically my questions mm. and asking about the recession as well. He's quite, well, quite optimistic like that lady there. Yeah, well, 2024, 2025 is just not early enough, is it? Quite frankly. No, it's but, interesting uh, though, the time lag, isn't it? And now uh, you get to what, 2024, early 2025, where you're talking about full independence. What happens if we get progression here in the war in Ukraine? What if there is suddenly a, a change in politics at this point? Is there a way to get Russian oil back into the mix? And at what percentage no. level would it, would it be? Well, we say no now, but we know that politics can change very quickly. Uh, we saw it in the event where Russia's been cut out of the market. Uh, it can change the other way very rapidly if there's some sort of negotiation trying to smooth over waters and uh, ensure some sort of a peace agreement. This can happen quickly. So what is the percentage down the track now as we talk about full independence where there would be any way back for Russians to the table? Just, uh, I just, can I be honest? I think the chance of an end to the war are zero, aren't they? I mean, we've had an eight year, this hope. has been going on eight years now. I don't know. Well, you say eight years, but I mean... Been, they invaded and, and nicked a load of their country eight years ago. Yes, but then if you think about the way... 8,000 people dead in the last eight years before this current the conflict Western started. The Western response has not been there for eight years, though, yeah. has it? The British have been training the uh, Ukrainian army for most of the last eight years. No, I mean, in terms of sanctions against Russia on the oil There's side been and the energy in place side... for the last eight years. Not for full-on for eight years where Russia's been cut no, out of the European market. Not as full-on, but there have been the sanctions for eight years. <laughs> yes. Uh, we need to move on. We've got Viraj Patel with us, global macro strategist at Vanda Research. Uh, Viraj, let's come back to foreign exchange because this is where we are seeing some compelling trades, uh, give or take a few percentage points. We've been just hovering around uh, this parity mark now on euro dollar. What do you make of the chances of intervention by the ECB at, at some point? Unfortunately, the ECB are probably a price taker right now when it comes to the euro, especially given that what's driving the euro is really a structural balance of payment shock that the central bank can do very little about. Now, I fully agree that you know the ECB, the window for the ECB hiking rates and hiking rates meaningfully is closing uh, pretty quickly with the sort of warning signs around a recession flashing yellow, if not red already. And I think you know the sensible path for the ECB is to front load these hikes you know, almost capitulate, go 50 in July, go 50 in September, and then to say, look, we really don't know where the market goes after that. And so, you know, this is almost a dream environment for perma Euro, Euro bears, where they know central banks and policymakers are almost in a political and policy impasse scenario. And I think, you know, this is a really struggling environment. But, you know, that being said, parity was our initial landing mark when the, when the war started out in Ukraine. And I think to get another five to 10% depreciation here, 
you know, there's a lot of bad news already priced in. We need to see the narrative turn even worse uh, from here. Not a scenario we can rule out, but certainly, you know, a lot of bad news already now in the price. Raj, you use the term capitulation. One of our other commentators said overshoot yesterday. And these uh, sort of words come together. It reminds me of other situations we've seen on markets where there's a one-way trade until suddenly it stops and snaps back the other direction. Uh, we've had uh, two moves by other central banks today, yet it's had no bearing on the dollar trade at this point. So it does beg the question whether we've got something around the corner where investors will change their tune on this dollar strength. Yeah, our view hasn't been that this is a market driven by policy. It's driven more by sort of relative cycles. You know, this is an FX market driven by growth differentials. We've just been characterizing euro dollar or even cable and pretty much the dollar against anything as a first into recession play. So with Europe on the brink of a crisis, um, naturally, given on paper, the risks are much severe. The data has been collapsing much faster. You know, it's natural that the dollar is finding a bid here. And then if you take the other side of the equation, are the Fed, are the Treasury ever going to step in the way of a strong dollar in this particular environment with inflation at 40-year highs? The answer is no. This is, this is almost a, a, the perfect playbook for them, where the dollar is doing a lot of the tightening efforts for, for policymakers without the need to raise rates rapidly. So you know, I think it's a really challenging environment for FX markets of different ones to what we're used to pre-COVID or even after the GFC. And I think this is really a strong dollar world for the, for the short term. Viraj, as always, our audience is is looking ahead here and they're trying to figure out what the next big move in the FX market is going to be. And the question I think that'll resonate today through all asset classes is, is today's inflation print the peak for inflation through this cycle? And increasingly, if this is the big cycle inflation peak, then you have to start asking yourself whether the dollar has the same momentum uh, running through the third quarter of the year. Yeah, we'd agree with that. We think that, you know, we're going to get close to peak inflation. Calling it, you know, on a month-on-month print is pretty difficult, but the, the cards seem to be falling into place when you think think of, like, commodity prices, supply chains start slowly easing, um, and also some of the demand side of the equation also failing. You know, you would imagine that inflation is going to start to peak, at least it moves uh, slightly lower, and when it comes to the dollar, the, the challenge is that we're almost straddling both sides on the dollar smile here. So at, whilst you know the cyclicality of the dollar is being challenged, obviously with Fed, the Fed potentially not hiking in 23 and rate cuts being priced in, the market's other fear is recession and global recession. And as I said, you know, a recession that's centered outside of the US initially. And that's almost uh, giving the dollar a bid from a haven perspective. So, you know, two out of three scenarios for us see the dollar winning. You know, it's only if the rest of the world starts to show strong growth signs that you start to see a, a, a trend lower in the dollar. And that's difficult. So I think you've got to be a bit more nuanced than how you think about the dollar going forward. For example, we wouldn't be chasing dollar yen lower, you know, yen potentially reverting back to a safe haven characteristics later this year. Uh, let's see. But equally, you know, the idea that you know, the, 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 the sort of strength of the dollar across especially high beta and risky currencies is over uh, is, is a challenging one, given that the next narrative is going to be recession after peak inflation. Um, Viraj, I hear you, and very interesting hearing everything you've got to say, but I mean, this is good old-fashioned carry trade now. Now, admittedly, it's not as exciting as uh, actually making real money in the world. As you say, nuance is the fact that inflation is way higher than the interest rates. But the fact is, it's real money from the carry trade, isn't it? That's as good a reason as any to do these trades and to carry on and potentially compound those trades. If you've got a green light from the BOJ and the ECB that they're going to struggle to move rates at all, and yet you've got other economies which are racing ahead with rates now, that, that carry trade's bad. Back, isn't it, my friend? 
Yep, as long as volatility declines. And you know, we're almost in peak like narrative volatility and realized volatility. You would hope that as we get into summer, um, as we head into, you know, if, and I think this is why the inflation print matters, if, we, if this peak inflation narrative is true and we don't get signs of the global economy falling off a cliff within a two to three month window, certainly carry is going to be your friend, but you just need realized and you know, narrative volatility to fall here. You know, if we get a beat this today, um, you're almost going to see a rinse and repeat playbook of what we saw last month where rates move higher, risk sells off. And that's not necessarily a great environment to be to be long carry. So I think, you know, it, it, it requires a lot to happen, but certainly, you know, picking up yield, selectively going back into duration, you know, those are the types of talks, uh, uh, client conversations that we're starting to have. Viraj, thank you very much for joining us today. Viraj Patel with us, Global Macro Strategist at Vanda Research. The Reserve Bank of New Zealand has become the first developed country, a central bank, to lift its uh, cash rate above neutral. The central bank delivered its third consecutive half-point hike and signaled it would continue to tighten policy at pace until its sure inflation is contained. Meanwhile, the Bank of Korea also hiked rates by 50 basis points, its largest increase ever. The BOK's governor said another 25 basis point hike looks appropriate if current inflationary pressures continue to persist. I haven't had my flight cancelled yet. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, obviously, this, uh, this got, uh, Heathrow story is fascinating. Got isn't 18 it? days. <laughs> you ready to drive? Oh, well, I'm There's just wondering whether to put my car and pay for the villa now. <laughs> uh, the reason I mention this is because coming up on the show, London's Heathrow Airport, yeah, it's getting worse. Putting a cap on summer ticket sales as it struggles to deal with logistical challenges. Uh, more on uh, that after the break. Plus, is this is podcast any good today? Uh, I think it's good. I think there's a lot of chat. There's yeah. a lot of conversation. There's a lot of analysis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's just remind you, you can hear more about the countdown to the June inflation report stateside on the Squawk Box <laughs> podcast. Do have a listen. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Lawsuit against Elon Musk for allegedly violating his $44 billion takeover deal. The legal filing accuses Musk of sparking a quote public spectacle at the beginning of negotiations and acting in bad faith against the transaction once the market started to turn. Twitter is seeking an initial four-day trial in September. Just a quick uh, line on this. Uh, you may, of course, recall the amount of uh, fairly aggressive language that Musk used against Twitter. I think we should flesh out the language Twitter is now using because they've been very quiet up until this point, saying having mounted a public, public spectacle to put Twitter in play and having proposed and then signed a seller-friendly merger agreement, Musk apparently believes that he, unlike every other party subject to Delaware contract law, is free to change his mind, trash the company, to disrupt its operations, destroy shareholder value, and walk away. Wow. According to he's, so really he's, still got, he's still the biggest shareholder, is he? Or certainly one of them. Wow. With the stakeholder, yes. Should you carry on with this, or do you want to do travel? I don't mind. I'm genuinely Well, let's happy. talk about the travel story, because yeah. I think this is just outrageous. I mean, who leaves money on the table? And that's ultimately what this story is about. In a capitalist economy that can't service the people that want the services, you, you've got some serious issues. Yeah, so did we. 
Uh, London's Heathrow Airport has told airlines to stop selling tickets for the summer period until September 11, uh, as it struggles with the post-pandemic travel rebound. The latest move comes after Britain's busiest airport imposed a passenger travel limit of 100,000 per day versus 125,000 daily in 2019 and follows requests by the UK government that airlines should cut out capacity. Um, well, one of the insides, I've got a few people in the industry I know quite well, and one of the problems is the data checks. There are people coming back to the industry. There are staff, mm. cabin crew, pilots, but you just, they can't get their data checks through because they've, they've all expired because they spent the last couple of years doing other jobs or being on furlough or getting sacked. Mm. Let's be honest, because that's what a lot of the airlines did. Now the airlines are saying, okay, we want you back, we're desperate. They're getting the staff back, but they can't process them. So whose fault is that? Is it the airlines? Is it the airports? Is it a government agency which is checking the data? And you've got to say, it's probably a bit of all three. I do take your point about if you've got demand there, you capitalise on the demand. But we've seen this play out at other airports uh, across Europe where there are waits to get into the actual terminal. That's awful. Do we really want that? And we know it's been bad already at Heathrow with the sort of baggage that's just been mounting. But to, three hours to get into an airport or even to get out of an airport to claim your bags, is it sort of the right approach given they don't have the right staff at this point? Is it right to put a cap on some level so you can maintain service. Well, it's interesting, uh, Willie Walsh was, uh, was out there speaking uh, yesterday, is criticizing... He's now, is he? Uh, yeah, mm, yes. uh, but he was out there criticizing the airline companies oh, and yeah. saying that they just didn't anticipate the pickup in demand that actually a lot of other people were forecasting. Uh, and so it's, it's on them that they haven't got capacity right uh, and apparently neither is Heathrow at this stage for the uptick that we're seeing in demand at this point. Um, I think generally you can be sympathetic uh, to, to some of the points, but when these are businesses that may have taken furlough cash from governments, then I feel less sympathetic yeah, I feel really because yeah. if they took the money and they scythed their staff and now they're struggling to get those staff back, then you, know, uh, you do think that the management do have a few questions to answer, but will there be consequences? It's not, probably look, not. Let's just get this straight. It's not just a UK problem. This is a global problem. We've seen it with Delta, we've seen it with the European airlines, we've seen it with all of them. But the fact of the matter is it is compounded, no matter what um, Brexiteers think, it's compounded by the fact that there's a lot more hassle getting through an airport now mm. if you're British. The truth of the matter is, as a kid, I used to love getting stamps in my passport. As an adult, I don't want stamps in my passport. I want to get through an electronic gate. I've got more stamps in my passport in the last two years than I've ever had in my life. So best experience, worst experience, I'm going to go, I'm going to go for it first. Worst is Stansted, best is Munich. Um, well, Berlin, this year. Berlin wasn't great. Um, is that you, the, it's still the old airport, or have they got the new one? No, it's the, it's the new airport. Okay. It's, uh, it's Brandenburg. But um, it, it's not great. You get funneled off into a separate queue, and it takes... You, you basically have to give yourself 40 minutes to clear um, uh, passport control. Yeah. Um, and Zurich, I mean, you know, you'd think that Zurich would be generally efficient. Yeah. But, but, of course, you know, the Swiss... Uh, fall into line with the rest of the EU and they make it more difficult for British I'm passport holders. We had a good we Davos experience. return experience. We had a great one, didn't we? We were, I was about to say, that was my best experience. We were yeah. seamless, but I think it was time of day. There happened to be no one else. We were a little bit early yeah. and we were straight through in terms of uh, security checks. So, so Munich yeah. and Zurich get the up. 
the, th the, the thumbs up, Stansted yeah. and Berlin a little bit. Well, nah. yeah, yeah, no, not, not, not great. But, uh, but I know what the reaction is. You know, if you're watching out there in Switzerland or in uh, Germany this morning, you're, you're listening to this conversation and thinking, well, you voted for it. You take the consequences. <laughs> but it's not just Brexit, though, is it? I mean, we're just waiting at uh, an airport here domestically, uh, yeah. waiting to get out of the country. Didn't it's we have busy. Problems getting you on can't the plane get out. Well, you can't Davos. get a coffee. You can't get a snack to take on. You have to queue everywhere, and that's just before masks you even and get to. Of, is masks stuck on, yeah, is masks on BA as well, isn't it? No, masks are a uh, thing of the past. No, 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 we have you're masks. You're I have masks on BA. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm usually the only person wearing masks. Because I've got these massive ears that may or may not protrude. All the better to hear you with. Well, what about it? But the problem is it pulls, you know, so it's not yeah, very I mean, comfortable. At the risk of falling into <laughs> self... We didn't need that close-up self shot, really. Didn't need the close-up, uh, Rod. It's like BFG on a bad day. Self-indulgent <laughs> conversation about the first world problems that we're facing. It is going to be a very... I mean, just taking Steve it back ears. to the business. You know, the, uh, it was leaving, rugby. Leaving Steve's ears out, because unless he can use them to fly, he's going to put up with the oh, same yeah. consequences oh, as the rest of That's my favourite movie. Yes, um, but, but the reality is, you know, we're going to have to watch the second quarter earnings to see whether some of these issues come home to roost for the airline companies. Because, you know, as, we, as we've been told by the airline, airline analysts that we've spoken to, the companies that are looking better poised at the moment to take advantage of this situation are the ones like Ryanair who did less cutting in the, uh, the downturn. Maybe there's so, room for another player. Dumbo wings coming to uh, Easy. It's all just gone a little bit extreme now. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.